morning, everyone. Um, it's good to see you. My name is Grant, if we haven't met before. And if you are new here, just welcome. It's good to have you in the space. Um, we have been preaching a few standalone sermons over the last while, looking at a bunch of different topics we felt like God was highlighting to us. And then at camp, we spoke through all of our cultures, the values, the things that are kind of core to who we are as Harbor City. But today we're going to be starting a new series. So before I tell you what that's all about and what we're going to get into, I want you to just go back in time with me. If you can go back in time to the first day of grade one, maybe close your eyes, just set the scene a little bit, try and picture yourself what you're wearing. I was a beautiful little five-year-old boy, ready to turn six, backpack on my back and a head full of dreams, going into Mrs. Llewellyn's class, ready for my education. And I walked into that classroom, and I sat down at one of those kind of six-sided desks, you know, and I sat down next to Kerry Malam, my first school friend. She today is 34. Her name is Kerry Forbes now. She's married to Mike. They've got two beautiful sons. She's a lawyer. She's got her own conveyancing company. A lot has changed since she was six years old at Cluth Junior Primary all those years ago. But that day, we colored in cats. And I colored in mine a beautiful hue of purple, and later my mom would put that on the fridge with all of the magnets around and kind of boast about that to her friends, what a talented young artist I was. And I don't know about you, but I have very few memories of grade one. I don't really remember being that age at all, but there's a few milestones like that that have really stood out. And probably the other one from my grade one year was being asked to color a picture of what we wanted to be when we got older. I don't know if you did something like that at school. But I still literally remember it being hung on the wall next to all of the other pictures. All of the other boys wanted to be policemen. So for me, needing to be different, needing to be an individual, needing to be unique, I decided I'm going to do something very, very different. I'm going to be a detective, you know. And I remember this drawing I had. I had one of those really dope, like, Sherlock Holmes hats on. I had my magnifying glass out, and I thought, oh, I know how I can make this interesting. And I did a bunch of footprints on the floor going behind a bush with this real, like, criminal mastermind hidden back there that I was going to discover in just a minute. So, like, I remember that really clearly. But the reason I bring that up, just to bring us back to this morning, is that even at that age, when I was six, and probably for all of you too, there was a sense of wanting to live with purpose. There was a sense of wanting to do something with your life that mattered, of living with meaning, of doing something great, of leaving a legacy with our lives. And I think that carries on to this day. Now, even as young kids, that is who we are. And I think looking ahead to where we are now and looking ahead to kind of our last days, We would want our lives to count. I think probably for all of us in this room, we would hate to get to the end of our life and think to ourselves, you know what, the thing that I've lived for, the thing that I've built my life on, the thing that I've given my time and energy and effort to actually doesn't matter at all. That would be devastating, you know. There's actually an interesting quote by a guy named Walker Percy. He says, you can get all A's and still flunk life. Quite interesting. Thanks, Rory. I appreciate that laugh. Rory's the encouraging laugh at the back. Jesus says it even more poetically. He says, what gain is it, sorry, what good is it to gain the world and lose your soul? And imagine at the end of your life, you've lived with passion for this thing, but actually it doesn't mean anything. I'm not necessarily talking about work. You could be very successful at this thing that you've given your life to. But at the end of your life, imagine you realize I've flunked. I've got an A's at everything, but it didn't mean anything in the bigger scheme of things. I think for all of us, we want to live for something. 
But there's this reality we can leave here today and go, okay, I want to live for something. I want to make my life count. I want to do something that really matters. But then what do you do? (laughs) You can't just go and choose something and hope at the end of your life you chose the right thing. Okay, I hit the right bullseye. I hit the right target. I was living for the right thing. No, we do need a sense of calling. We need to be called to know that actually this thing that I'm giving my life and energy and time to is the thing that really matters. This is the thing that my life is for. This is why I'm on the earth. We need to live with a sense of calling. So preparing for the series, I googled what is my calling. I was hoping to get some answers, and this is what Google had to say. It's the six kind of top sites that popped up in the search. Number one, mindbodygreen.com. It was this wellness kind of blog with all sorts of influences around calling. The second was christianitytoday.com, which I think you would expect a Christian blog talking about meaning and calling. The third was tinybuddha.com. And the article is, Find Your Calling, Five Steps to Identify Your Purpose. And I don't think this was specifically a Buddhist blog. I think it was maybe just kind of someone with more Eastern influences and listening to more Eastern philosophies. The fourth was DesiringGod.com, another famous Christian blog. Fifthly was Forbes.com, a business blog, a business site. And their blog was 20 Ways to Find Your Calling. And sixthly was Oprah.com. I don't know if you saw that coming. But what are you meant to be doing? Find your calling. And the reason I wanted to say that is because this is a universal pursuit. Everyone in the world wants a sense of purpose and calling and meaning and to live for something that really, really matters. So I guess the reality today is as we go through this new series around calling, I can't promise you that we're going to give you the answer. I can't promise you that we're going to give you what your call is, but we want to help you to think about that. We want to give you some tools to process it as you pray through that a little bit more. And I'm hoping that you're going to at least begin this journey of working out why God has put you on this planet and what he wants from you. Now, maybe the first thing I want to say today is that every single one of us, according to the Bible, are called. Now, I don't know if everyone in this room would believe that. But the Bible says that every one of us are called by God and called to something. And the reason I think that's so important is because I've had a number of these conversations as a pastor over the years where someone, like we're chatting at a wedding or a party or something, we meet out somewhere, and they say, so what do you do? I say, I'm a pastor. And they say, wow, when did you know that you were called? It's like kind of a general thing that people often ask me. And I think if I was like rude, if I was a bit of a jerk, I'd kind of shoot back with like, I don't know, this cheeky kind of Christian answer like, what do you mean when did I know uh, I was called? When did you know you were called to the thing you were doing, you know? Because we're all called. We're all called to something. And it's not just being called to our jobs. It's much more than that. It's called to the life that God has given us to live. I think the second thing I'd probably do is I would tell them the story of feeling God's drawing or his calling to what I do today, and then ask, what has God called you to? Because he wants us to know. He wants us to be able to answer that question so that we can live for that thing. God wants us to live it out. And I think what I'd love you to leave here believing, even as we get into the series, is that God has called you. God has a purpose for your life. God has gifted you to do something. God has something for your life which is of meaning and impact eternally. And then I'd love you to prayerfully wrestle with what that is. God, what is it you've got for me to do? And the reality is I know that a lot of us in this room disqualify ourselves. We disqualify ourselves from being used by God or believing that God would want to use us. 
And I think it can be easy to look at someone else and say, God would definitely want to use Ayanda or Alex, but not me. Look at them, those guys over there. They're amazing. Think of all of their lists of attributes. Of course God would use them, but never me, you know. And we've got this long list of things that disqualify us and write us off. Why God should use someone else instead. And it basically boils down to this idea that I'm not good enough. God could never use me. He would never want to use me. And when we do that kind of thing, what we do is we let the lies of the enemy win in our own life rather than this exciting, adventurous call of God, which he's got for each one of us. I want you to know that God doesn't want any of us to be bench warmers. I wasn't very good at sports growing up. Um, my hockey career wasn't very, very successful. And I think I would generally be a bench warmer. Yeah, Keegan's standing there. He's like, if I had been your hockey coach, Grant, would have been a different story. But I, I didn't enjoy hockey, Keegan. I'm so sorry to say. I wasn't very good at it. And I would sit on the sidelines and watch everyone play. But when it comes to God, there are no bench warmers. In this life, God has not chosen people to sit on the sidelines and watch other people live out this calling or purpose for God. Really, God has gifted us all. He's called us all. He's got a ministry for us all. He's got a purpose for us all. Everyone gets to play. Everyone gets to play. And my hope is over these next few weeks, you would start to think about calling a bit more. You would pray through this and ask the Spirit to speak to you as we go through this on Sundays and in life groups that actually you would be sharing some of the things you're asking God with the people in your groups, the people in your life, and maybe asking them to speak into that what they see in your life. Maybe sharing some of the things you feel God might be saying so that they could actually say, yeah, we see that, or no, we think you're completely off there. But actually trying to work this out in community together to get more clarity on what God has specifically called each one of us to. But I think there's this reality that there's a meantime for most of us. We know, okay, Grant, I hear you. God has called me to something specifically But for a lot of us, we actually think, well, I've been asking God to show me that for years. (laughs) Like, I want to know what it is. I want to do this thing. But I've been asking God and he hasn't shown me. And in the meantime, while some of us are fussing this through, what is my specific calling in this life? God has got other things for us to do. You know, there's no verse in the Bible that tells us what we should specifically be doing. It would be so easy just to turn there. Grant Clark 2019 called to this thing. But there are a whole lot of verses that tell us about what we are generally called to do. And that's a really helpful thing. In the Bible, we see the general call of God and the specific call of God. And in the next couple of weeks, we'll get more into the specific, because I think that's what we all think about when we talk about calling, what God has specifically called me to, this unique purpose and plan that he's got for my life. For instance, in the scriptures, Noah was called by God to build an ark. You can read about that in Genesis 5 to 8. He was the one person alive at that time called to build an ark to save the world. There weren't a lot of people building arks. This wasn't like a general thing, arks popping up all over the place. This was what Noah was asked by God to do. It was an ark for the animals. It was an ark for all the people who would respond. It was an ark for the salvation of the world. What about Mary? I thought about Jesus' mother and what a terrifying but incredible call God gave her. Imagine if God said to you, I want you to parent the most important child that will ever live. I'm going to trust you actually to grow this baby in your womb, to give birth to him, to be the one who kind of nurses him and then parents him and disciples him and invests in him and raises this boy who will be the most significant human to ever live. 
And on top of that, I'm going to call you to a lot of scorn and rejection and misunderstanding because everyone else is going to think that actually you're this kind of lady who fell pregnant out of wedlock and this child is actually scandalous rather than glorious. What about Bezalel and Aholiab? Anyone know those guys in the Old Testament? If you read Exodus 35 to 38, you come across these two interesting guys who are very creative men. In fact, what we read about is that they were gifted by God creatively and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do these creative tasks. God put them to work building the temple and doing all the beautiful aspects that went into there. And not only were they skilled in a number of these things and empowered by the Spirit, but God also gave them a gift to train up other people to do the work that they were doing. Maybe you're called in a way like that. Or Priscilla and Aquila. They're this interesting power couple in the Bible because sometimes Priscilla's first, sometimes Aquila's first. They definitely held their own against each other. And they were these like powerhouse entrepreneurs all around the Roman Empire, starting up businesses, building new homes, buying homes. And then wherever they landed up, they would work with Paul together to plant a new church in that city. Those are some of the specific callings that we often think come to mind when we think about what the call of God is. But this specific calling isn't something that we achieve. Like this isn't something we're gunning for a gold medal for. You know, I'm going to win at this calling God's given me. The calling that God has for us is more a gift that we receive. It's the way God has wired us. It's what God wants for us to do. Calling is about both knowing who God has made us to be and what God has made us to do. So there's this old Hasidic parable that some of you might have heard. And it kind of illustrates I guess this human tendency to both compare ourselves to others and at the same time, um, I guess, know that we've got a specific purpose in this world. And it's uh, from this guy, Rabbi Zussia. And he says, when he was an old man, in the coming world, after he dies, they will not ask me, why were you not Moses? You know, one of the greatest leaders of the Israelites. Why were you not Moses? They will ask me, why were you not Zussia? I think that's this reality for us. Sometimes God has made us to be a specific person and do a specific thing, but we're looking at others thinking, I wish I was like Moses, you know. I wish I was like Renia. I wish I was like Exo. And rather than being the person God has made us to be that specific call, we try and be like someone else. So that's specific calling. General calling, on the other hand, is probably something that most of us don't think of as calling because it's general. This is for everyone. This is the stuff we've got verses for. But actually, Jesus calls us to himself. That's the first call that any of us receive when it comes to calling. General calling is this call to Jesus, and it's the same for every one of us. This is a call to be a Christian, to follow Jesus, to be a disciple, to live a righteous, holy, upright life, to follow him through the ups and downs of life, to build his kingdom, all of those things. And before we start looking at kind of the unique and specific calls that God might have for each of us in this room, We want to start in that general calling space, because while we wait to know exactly what God has called us to do, there's a lot we can get busy with in this general space. So if you do have a Bible, you can turn to Mark 1 with me. We're going to read from verse 14 to 20, and really this is Jesus coming onto the scene. Mark 1 is an amazing chapter. It talks about Jesus' temptation, his baptism, the launch of his ministry, how he did life, and here we see some of the key points in what he did as he went into Galilee. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. 
And passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Before we get into some of the specifics of that passage, I just want to highlight this. That is a passage about general calling. Jesus calls four people specifically, James and John, Andrew and Simon, but he calls them all to exactly the same thing. So later on in the scriptures and in church history, we'll read about the specific things God had for them to do. But at this time, Jesus is just saying, come and follow me and do the same thing that the rest of the disciples are doing. And I really want to hammer this home today that we find the specific call of God inside of the general call of God. If you want to know what God has put you on this earth to do, live out the general call of God, the stuff that all Christians are meant to do. Seek God, and in that space, you will find what he has specifically called you to do. So the first thing, and this is really, really obvious, but it needs to be said, is we are called by Jesus. Calling involves a caller, Os Guinness says, there is no calling unless there is a caller. And the reason I say that is because sometimes I think we can use the word calling interchangeably with like purpose and passion and dream and destiny and hope and all of those things. But calling is different to all of those because calling is an act of obedience. It's something we receive from God. God is actually speaking to us. He's calling us with his voice and saying, come and follow me. And here that's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is calling out to these four people specifically and saying, come and join me in the stuff that I'm doing. Now, we live in a world with many voices, many calls, many distractions, many things competing for our attention. And I mean, you could make this list later at home, but what are the things that are calling you at the moment? Think of some of those voices that are competing for your attention. What are the different things that are calling you at the moment? Identify them, name them. And then what are the things that you are actually following? Because Jesus here, he's saying, actually, I don't just want to call. I want you to respond to my call. I want you to come after me and follow me. So what are the things that are calling out to you? And what are the things that you are following at the moment? In Mark 1, we see that Jesus is calling us and his invitation is personal. He calls people by name. And he's not calling them to a task as much as he's calling them to himself. That's really, really big. I think sometimes we think, okay, God's call is about what he wants me to do. Okay, I need to do, do, do. I need to achieve for God. But here Jesus is first and foremost primarily calling us to himself. He wants us to know him and be in a relationship with him. So calling more than what God wants us to do and who we are made to be is about whose we are made to be, who we belong to. Whose are you? This is an identity piece. Who do you belong to? Who is your Lord? Who calls you? Who are you following? Who do you belong to? Because when we know whose we are, in a sense, we know what to do with our lives. Our first calling is foremost to Jesus. And the second thing is we're called to a new story. Mark 1 verse 14, Jesus comes into Galilee proclaiming the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Now, there's a lot of terms in there, and I could kind of define each one today, and that would be helpful, but I think we've probably looked at that over the last couple of months or year as a church anyway. 
But maybe, I, maybe you can see this a little bit differently today. When Jesus is coming into Galilee and he's preaching this message, he's a storyteller coming in with an alternate story about what the world is all about. He's coming in saying, you are living this way, but the world is about something different altogether. I read this quote a while ago. It's by a guy named Erwin McManus, a pastor in the U.S. He says, we need a revival of great storytelling. Whoever tells the best story shapes the culture. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's coming into Galilee as this great storyteller, telling the story of life, telling the story of the world, and saying to everyone, come and follow me. Come and believe me about what the story is all about, what life is about, what the world is all about. Believe in the story and join me in living according to it. And I want to ask you today, do you believe that the gospel story is the best story? Do you believe the gospel story is the best story for you, for Durban, for the world? I don't know what you're going through at the moment, what you're facing, what is like foremost on your mind and on your heart. But do you believe that the gospel speaks into those needs, into those thoughts, to those things that are on your mind at the moment? Do you believe that the gospel is the greatest story? Because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying the story that I've got is the greatest news for the world, and you're called to it. So Jesus is going into Galilee, speaking this new story about reality, calling people to follow him and live in light of this truth. And he uses this really interesting word there. It's the word repent. Now, that's a church word. Repent is not a word that we use often outside of maybe the space or kind of churchy spaces. But Jesus says repent. Sounds like a bit of a heavy word, often like quite an abrasive word. Repent. Turn. To repent is a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Or one illustration of repent that I really like is a friend of mine said that the word repent is the phrase pent at the end, like penthouse, the highest room with the best view, the best space to look out from. In a sense, when Jesus is calling us to repent, he's calling us to the penthouse. He's calling us to the highest way of looking the best view, to see things from God's point of view, not our point of view. Because so often we're looking down low from here and we're seeing actually with very little understanding of what's going on. But God is calling us to see as he sees what the life is about, what the world is about, what truth is all about. He's calling us to join him in living in reality. No, a lot of you came to the faith and work stuff we did at um, uh, Christchurch in Schlanger a while ago. I got to spend some time with Sib Sabanda the one morning and he was just speaking about discipleship, and he gave this quote that I thought was so helpful to help us understand what this is all about. He says, discipleship is helping people to understand God's story, to locate themselves in God's story, and to play their part in God's story. Brian, that's a good ringtone, dude. <laughs> discipleship is about helping people to know God's story, locate themselves in God's story, and to play their part in God's story. That's what this is all about. So if you don't know God's story, it's just four acts. Theologians help us this way. It says it starts with creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That You are made by a creator God with purposes that he's got. And everything was going well. Kimmy spoke about that last week, about the purposes of God and creation in Genesis 1 and 2. And then act 2 is the fall. Sin entering into the world and messing a lot of things up. Not just humanity and our hearts and sin and all of that, but everything. That's why we see the brokenness, evil, injustice, wrong out there and the wrong in here. But there's an act three, which is really good news. Reconciliation, redemption, that God came down 
that God entered into the story, the author came into the story, that Jesus walked the streets that we've walked, that he knows the temptations and struggles that we face, that he was tempted in every way and overcame that and then died on the cross in our place for us. And he took our wrong on himself that we could be reconciled to God. Our brokenness, our sin, our failings on himself, not just because we were broken, but also because he loves us. He loves us. And because he wants us to know him, he wants us to know God. And the final part is still to come, consummation, where Jesus returns and makes all things the way they are meant to be. That is the story that we are part of. We're wanting to locate our space in. So what story are you living in? Toy Story 4 came out, I don't know, about a month ago. I haven't seen it yet, so don't worry. I'm not going to spoil it for you. I'm going to spoil another movie that came out 20 years ago. If you haven't seen it, it's your fault. It came out in 1999. But in Toy Story 1, the original movie, who's seen it? Quite a few. Okay, everyone's seen Toy Story 1. If you haven't, shame on you. But there's these, this great bunch of characters, hey? Woody, there's Rex, there's Mr. Potato Head, there's Bo Peep, there's all of these beautiful characters who are toys and live their lives as, I guess, characters in Andy's room. Andy is the little boy who owns them. And to use the language we've been using today, their job, their purpose, their calling is to please Andy. They're his toys to make him happy that he can play with. And they're going on, life is normal, they're content with what they're doing until Andy's birthday comes along and everything is about to change. See, there's been this toy that he has wanted for a long time. It's the Buzz Lightyear action figure. It's what all the kids are talking about. All the kids have been getting this toy. And for his birthday, he gets a bunch of toys, but Buzz Lightyear is the one that he wanted the most. So he opens it, he gets excited about it, he plays with it, and then he puts Buzz Lightyear in his room together with the rest of the toys. But the problem is, Buzz doesn't know the story that he's a part of. So he comes out of the box, and he thinks he is literally Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, landed on some like alien planet, here to fight some mission against Zorg, and that all of these toys, all of the pets and people that are going on around, they are all aliens that are his enemies. This is the story he's believing and the story that he's living. He doesn't know he's a toy. So Buzz is living in the wrong story. And it doesn't matter what Woody or any of the other characters tell him, he is carrying on with this mindset that he is the Buzz Lightyear, the hero of the story, here to fight off all of these enemies. Until one day, he's in the lounge at night, the TV is on, and an advert comes on about the Buzz Lightyear action figure. And he sees himself on the screen, but not as this hero, but as a toy. And he realizes these buttons on his chest aren't buttons that do anything powerful. They're stickers. He realizes this powerful laser beam in his arm isn't actually a laser beam. It's just a flashing red light. He realizes the suit of his isn't like some special space medal. It's just plastic. He's got screws in his sides, and he's got a made-in-China stamp on his foot. Buzz Lightyear is not who he thought he was. He really is a toy. He's been living in the wrong story the whole time. It's cognitive dissonance. What he believes about the world is conflicted by what he is learning is true. And it takes him a while to adjust to all of that. Now I want to ask you today, what story are you living in? Are you believing the truth about the world and about yourself? Or are you believing something else? Because probably as we speak about calling... One of the hardest things to do in our society today that is very individualistic, very self-absorbed, 
is to actually speak about calling when we are not the main character of the story, you know? It's very easy for a series like this on calling to become about me and my gifting and my calling and my purpose and what God's got for me. Look at me and what I'm going to do with my one and great life. And actually, we start to use God to get ahead and be successful. We start to use one another, even in the church, so that we can display our gifts and we can fulfill our call rather than actually what God had intended. That actually our calling would be to glorify Him, to serve others, to build up the church and to advance His kingdom. What story are you living in? Are you living in pre-Buzz Lightyear years where you are the hero, you are the main character of the story? Or are you living in a story where you realize actually you live in Andy's room? You're one of the toys that are in his space. Your job is there to please Andy and make Andy happy. You're one of the characters in the story of his life. And Toy Story 1 ends with Buzz accepting this truth. He repents. He starts to see things from a different way, God's way, the bigger picture way. And he starts to live into the story that he's really a part of, not the story he would like to be a part of. And there's one final thing that really strikes me. I don't know if you remember, like there's a number of times throughout that first film where the characters look down and they see Andy's name written on their foot. Buzz Lightyear sees it later on in the film. And he realizes that he belongs to Andy. He's Andy's toy. That's his identity. He's not Buzz Lightyear of Star Command. He's Andy's toy. He's loved by this boy. That's the person he belongs to. That's the person he's living for. That's where he finds his purpose. And each one of these toys knows their identity. I'm Andy's. They know their calling. They're there to please him. And we see over time that Andy uses them in these different playing scenarios. Generally, Woody is the hero, like cowboy, and Rex is like this, I don't know, enforcer dinosaur who comes and roars, and that pig, piggy bank guy is like the baddie and all of these things. They are used as he wants for his purposes in each of these scenarios. But in the general calling of being part of Andy's room, each one of them find their specific calling and the purposes that he's got for them. And there's this reality for each one of us when we know whose we are, who we belong to, and we know the story that we are a part of, we can start to live into the call that God has got for each one of us. Do you mind closing your eyes with me and we'll pray? I don't know if you do need to repent today. I mean repent like Buzz Lightyear needed to repent or like Jesus was speaking, to believe the true story of God and this general call that is on each of our lives. I don't know if today maybe you are new here and you need to enter into Jesus' story because you've been living out a different story. You've been living a story where you're the center, not him. And today you realize you need to make some adjustments. I don't know if today you want to begin to live out this general call. And if there's something that has stood out to you this morning that you want to obey. But I want to ask the Spirit of God to empower you for that. So would you just bring that before God? And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, for each of us, that you would open our eyes more and more to your story, what you have called us to do and be part of. And I ask you, Lord, that this morning you would, I guess, show us clearer and clearer whose we are, who we belong to, so that we would be able to live into that more. I ask you, Jesus, that you would show us whose we are and the story we are a part of. 
Amen.